What do you think about Irish people? Do you think that we're sympathetic towards people like you, or do you feel sometimes like you're forgotten? No. Irish people don't give a fuck about Irish because they think, like, we can get ourselves out of this situation. Can't. You need help. It's, it's easy to look down. It's better to help. Hello, my name is Neve Marr and this week we're doing something different. We wanted to go behind the stats and talk to the people who are directly affected by the current housing crisis in Ireland. A lot of people I talk to have asked how they can help the homeless. Donations, plain and simple, are what's needed at the moment and there's still time before Christmas to make a difference. Focus Ireland is a charity that I've been involved with and aware of for a number of years. My mother, Catherine Marr, who we'll be talking to later on is the Director of Services with Focus. They set me up with some families who are willing to share their stories about the struggles they're facing. If you want to help, please call Focus on 1850 204 205. Any donations are very much appreciated. Some of the names have been changed to protect people's identities and the stories you hear may be distressing. I spoke to some of these families at the Focus Ireland coffee shop in Dublin. It's a place where people can come to get information and a hot meal. Dave comes to the coffee shop every day. He slept rough for a period of time and attempted to take his own life. This is his story. Um, I came, became homeless back in May. Um, me and my partner split up um, and I was rounded on the streets. I was there uh, about three weeks on the streets. Um, couldn't really deal with that. I was getting out of three weeks I got five nights in the hostels so we spent 17 nights actually on sleeping roof um, slept in the Phoenix Park um, Stevens Green in doorways uh, phone boxes all that carried on um, I woke up to all sorts happening around me people trying to kick you um, trying to urinate on you um, all sorts um, and I just wasn't coping very well so I tried to uh, I tried to take my life took a lot of pills that I was prescribed from the doctor from the depression that I was under, from the breakup and the, the misfortune that I'd found myself in. Um, so I ended up, I woke up the next morning and I wasn't expecting to. So I don't know how I managed, but I found my way to tell it to the hospital, to the doctor, my own doctor. And they hadn't got an appointment. So I was going back into town and I managed to somehow get off the tram and get into two James's hospital. Um, and I was admitted pretty much straight away. I was only in there for about 10 minutes when they found out the prescription, the medication that I'd actually taken, um, they were surprised that I was actually still alive. And they put me on a lot of adrenaline, bags of adrenaline. And I spent then two weeks on the psychiatric ward in James Hospital. Um, I then got out, out of James's, and my first night was into the brew. But that was my first night when I was on the streets and I was getting the, the, the time in the hostels. I was drinking heavily to cope with being on the streets. I was drinking eight cans a day and a bottle of whiskey at night time just to keep myself warm. The whiskey was the heat. Um, but obviously as well, it was blocking out a lot of pain that was going through and feeling. So after I got out, my first night in the brew, that was my first night I actually spent in the brew, sober. And I didn't sleep for the whole weekend because what was going on around me was horrific. Now, I'd already been in the brew a previous night, but it didn't affect me. I didn't notice it, I didn't see it, didn't hear it. But it wasn't until... As I say, I got out of hospital and spent my first night sober in the brown and I seen it all gone around around me. Um, all the drug use, all different types of drug use. Um, it was a warehouse and they prefer you to, it's prevention rather than 
you know, you don't want to, it's harm prevention, like, so, this is their else. I found myself using showers with syringes in them, and I couldn't use them, so I'd go to the gym or I'd go with my sisters and I'd wash myself there and that kind of carry on. Um, I was in the brew for about three weeks, and I, got, I was on a roll on bet, and I hurt my foot, and I got, luckily enough, I got back laying, I would have got my own room. So that was a little step up, but unfortunately, it was still a warehouse, so I was still with the same kind of clients and people around me and what was going on around me was still kind of very kind of horrific you know to be saying I'm witnessing and you're eating and you're trying to use the toilet facilities and it's just it was just uncleanliness and um, so I was there for I was there for a couple of months and things just got really really bad there for me I was getting very very low and key woke up and suggested trying to move me on um, to somewhere more to facilitate my needs um, I'm on a couple of courses I'm on um, an addiction studies course, which I nearly have finished. Um, that gets me level five VTech. I'm on um, a social studies course, which brings me to my um, access courses for DIT or Trinity, if I want, with a bit of luck. Um, depending on the course I want to go on, I want to actually work in the homeless sector because I'm actually getting a lot of help from it from being homeless. Um, so that's what has me motivation because of my situation. I know it, so it's I might as well do something that I've kind of made such a bad situation to something kind of positive. I, I didn't sit around and do nothing, you know. So I'm in York House now, and I'm there four weeks. Um, spotless place, much bigger. I have a bigger room. Um, it's a little bit more expensive. It works out about ten euros there, which isn't too bad though, you know. It's still uh, you still take into consideration the rent is high, but it's better than being on the streets, you know, or having nowhere, no security, no no bed, you know, and having to ring the free phone every day. That number is imprinted in my brain. It'll never live. You know, and you're ringing it and you're getting recorded messages. And it's just, it's horrible, so. You said that you became homeless in May, so that would mean that this Christmas is going to be your first Christmas. That must be tough. I mean, Christmas is, is definitely, you know, a time that you spend with your family, and is it something that you're dreading, essentially? And I know that's a tough question, but... It is, it is, because um, I have family, but I don't, I'm not really close to them, so my me, me family is my children. I have three babies, two, three and four. And I'm dreading Christmas Day, to be honest with you. Who's sure? You know, I'll get there. So So I want to ask you about where you see yourself in the next few years and and what do you hope for the future? Well, I'll tell you what I hope. I can't tell you what I can see because I can't see much at the moment. You're right, Dave. That was a stupid question. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I will. What I hope to be doing in the next couple of years is I hope to progress on. I want to get my level 8 VTEC and I want to work in the homeless sector. Um, I've been on the course now since June. Um, I nearly have that one finished, so then I can progress to the next stage of that. That's an addiction studies course. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to help. I want to put back what I'm after getting, and I've got a lot of help out of the system and the services. Um, when I was on the streets for the first three weeks, I knew nothing. I didn't know anywhere. I didn't even know about focus. I had no. You're not given any information when you're rendered ho- homeless. Dublin City Council, Parkgate Street, is the the county council in Tallaght. They don't help you. They no, don't. No, they don't tell you where to go. They don't tell you what to do. They, you're just thrown into the deep end. I'm from Tallaght. My family is from Tallaght. I'm registered in Tallaght, and yet I was put into the city centre in a hostel. So what sense is that? That's only marginalising me again, even further. You know, put me into a sector where there's no hope. At least if I, like, I've, at least if I was in Tallaght, I'd, like, visit people, like, bounce around. But you're in town. It's not much to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, just only walk the streets or sit in your room. So that's why I took my time out and done something with it, you know. So, 
But um, I'm up in Pathways. That's the college. I'm, that's where I am now. It's um, it's a it's an education centre. Um, it's for ex-convicts and people who's are uh, um, addicts and you know. So the sector I'm mixing with is the same sector I'm in. Yeah. So I know about it. So I can I can speak. I can I can write about it. I can do my assignments with a little bit of not with a little bit of ease, but a lot easier than yeah. I would have thought. I would, didn't think I, would, I had the education to behind me to actually to progress to this. Well, I'm actually surprising myself to be quite honest with you now. So, after the interview was finished, we began chatting about the struggles of apartment hunting. Dave then proceeded to pull out all of the documentation that he had kept while he's been homeless, and I asked him if we could continue to record. So, tell me, tell me what we're looking at now. So, this is the HAP list. So, for people who don't know, just explain what HAP is first. HAP, it's the Housing Assistance Payment Scheme from run by the County Council. It's the new way of rent allowance. Okay. They're doing away with the rent allowance, and this is what they're giving you instead. Mm-hmm. Um, the HAP list comes from Focus Ireland, the cafe, mm-hmm. and basically what they do is they go online, because mm-hmm. a lot of the homeless sector wouldn't have access to computers or mm-hmm. to go online. They print this off. So depending on the, what's on daft at the time, it depends on the size of the list. Sometimes you might get three or four pages. Sometimes you might get a few, one or two houses, see? But and so they're basically housing that they're telling you you would be uh, appropriate for, essentially? Yeah, well, that, that may... These are properties that may accept yeah. rent allowance or HAP. Okay. So these are what the, the, the girls in Focus have looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not saying... No, there's obviously no information saying that they won't accept HAP, yeah. so they put it out. But when you ring them, the snag is sometimes if, you, if you're lucky to get them on the phone, yeah. right, they might tell you to, to go through dafts, to email them. Now, sometimes they say a lot of people can't get access to computers or mm-hmm. like that, so they're, they're missing out. Now, I'm lucky enough because I have a laptop and I have the phone, so I can. Um, but there's people that can't, that miss out on this because they can't actually visit, to, uh, go on to Daft to actually to get this. Like, Dave, I'm looking at this. You probably have, like... Oh, I mean, there's definitely over 100 pieces of paper here in front of you. How how many have you applied for? In total, probably about... I will have, about seven of the houses it says since June. Now that's houses, apartments, studios, one beds, everything. That's everything. And you told me there that you go dressed in a suit, clean shaven, and you feel like it's it's the hap that's holding you back. Yeah, I even if I I don't disclose being homeless, mm-hmm. that doesn't have to come up. Um so that's I've never actually got an obstacle from that. There hasn't been any obstacles. Anything that I have got feedback from from the landlord which is most of the time you don't even contact you back after review you just don't hear from them and um, if you're lucky to get them to contact you back it's the hap that seems to let me down it's not the homeless sector it's not the way i'm at to present myself so i haven't i've done what i need to do to get myself further and it's the hap that's that's not gonna be you know just say dream scenario what do you think needs to happen in order to to change this well there's a lot of properties that are sitting out there um, now, there's a lot of people that are looking for houses. I'm not disputing that. But at the moment, a lot of people that are looking for houses are haunt and have places to sleep at night time. There's a lot of homeless people that don't have the security, even to me. Now, I do have a sense of security where I am, but I have no facilities. I can't cook for myself. I have no independence, so I've been taken away from me. Um, I have no facilities to, to get food and store food or anything like that. So I can't live a normal day life. I have to rely on others yeah. um, which is a step back for me it's 
not demoralizing, but it feels like I'm, been, yeah, I feel like I'm being parented, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, like I'm a child, yeah. and I have to rely on other people, you know. Um, as I say there, I've been doing this since June. Um, now, I'm going to show you a few of my references. That I, this is what I furnish now to the landlords. There's what I'm actually entitled to, the 14.25 per month. Yeah. And this is what they've wrote down as the cap, 18.75 rent cap, one adult and one child. Now, I'm entitled to this per month with three months up front in a landlord's account in 36 hours. Now, if I was a landlord, that'd be an attractive enough package to me to put somebody into it. And I can't get anywhere. And it's nothing I want to try. As I say, there's just that's just me letter of eligibility. There's me children. Um, that states I have them. There's me access forms. And here's just references from from the Paul when I was staying in the back lane. That's from when I was in the Paul when I was on Thomas Street in the Brew. That's the college I'm in. There it is again. And then the landlord references. So I'm furnishing all these references and it's just hopeless to refer to the county council telling them that they're going to have to spend X amount of money on... Now, I don't understand this because most of the places that you're looking at they're pretty new places. So there's no real excuse for the county council to tell them to have to do anything to them. So I think it's more of an excuse, to be honest with you, because people don't know what it's about. There's not enough information. Now, I have an email when I... Send on that. So I have an email which gives you a link to the housing authorities. Explains the HAP the system, the, the, the rules and regulations for both client, uh, for both the tenants and for the landlords. Um, I explain that I have my children. Uh, it, my my email is a pretty well worded email. I got it from a HAP club, and I adapted it to suit myself. So I'm I'm doing everything in my power. Um, even to yesterday, I was I rang focus yesterday. I rang the county council. I was I, I'm constantly at it. Um, I'm, I'm in here every day, as you can see. So it speaks for itself. Really. It must be exhausting as well. It like is. I'm literally exhausted just looking at all of the documentation that you have. It must be pretty demoralising. It is. David, do you know what I think? Like, I'm quite shocked by everything that I'm seeing here, and it kind of breaks my heart to know that you have to go through all of these things in order to get it. But I also feel that talking about this and kind of showing people what it is that you have to go through yeah. will hopefully yeah. benefit. That's what, I hope, that's what I hope to do. That's what, if anything, if anything comes out of my situation, that's what I'd like to see happen, you know. Um, as you can see, it all speaks for itself. Yeah. It's not like I'm covering it up or lying it's all there and that's a daily basis that's a daily occurrence for me and also Magnus has been in Ireland for just over a year now with her young daughter Alex who's 13 years of age Magnus has a job and Alex is attending school and wants to be a pathologist this is their story Um, originally we're from Asia and uh, the reason why we came to, to Ireland um, is because my child is half Irish. So as a, single, as a single parent back in Asia, we are not, we, we have a lot of rights that we cannot, we cannot access to. We are not, we, we don't, we are not avail a lot of assistance back home. And one of the, the, the main reason why we ended up here was uh, my child was no longer entitled to school 
back home. So we decided to use her Irish uh, passport to come back to Ireland uh, to put her into school, a basic necessity, I feel, which should be availed by a child of 13. And uh, when we came to Ireland was when we were, how, how, how should I say it, um, smack in the middle of this housing crisis, and that was how we became homeless. So that was within the last year, was it? That's right. Within, within the last year, yes. And so did it stem then from you arriving back into the country, and was it a case of rents being too high, or was it a case of there being no accommodation available? We, how it started was um, we were in private rental, and we were paying 180 euros a week. Uh, and this was in a little room with no ensuite, nothing, a shared kitchen. And uh, basically, from where we were staying to the nearest bus stop would be a 40-minute walk. And uh, at the same time, um, when while we were searching, we were, we were continuous looking, continuously looking for, for better accommodation, closer into public transport and things like that. We always faced the same problem, which was one, um, because I'm with a child and I'm a single mother, they're not interested. They're not interested in a child being in a house. That was, that was one part of it. The other one was um, I was also faced with discrimination due to us being uh, uh, Asians. So they're like, no, we're not interested. We oh, oh. What was the word that that person used? Uh, with the likes of you. And I thought that was, that, um, yeah, that, that, that was basically, I, and, and um, the other thing was because we were newly in Ireland, we didn't have references, so whatever references I had was from back home, and they, they didn't want references from home, they wanted references from Ireland. So I've just gotten here after so many years of being away, how am I supposed to find your references? So that it's been roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And now that things are fallen in, in place, um, the rental is just too high. Yeah, uh, Even though we've been a real HAP, no one wants to be interested in taking up a HAP case. They're like, oh, no, no, we are not interested. But they won't tell you directly because it, it's illegal. They're like, okay, I'll come back to you. And that'll be the last I hear of anything. You spoke a little bit earlier about some of the discrimination that you faced being from Asia. Um, how would you think that Irish people as a society view the homeless community? Do you think that you're forgotten? Do you feel like you've fallen through the cracks? Do you think that although stats are constantly kind of pushed on us from the news and from the government, do you think that people are aware that people like yourself and like your daughter are waiting until the very last moment to get that much needed bed? I think the norm for Irish people when they think about homelessness, the first thing which pops into their mind would be um, these homeless people are either, either alcoholics or drug addicts, but they are a group of people, families like us, we really fell through the cracks. It's not that we are, we, we, we are not able to, but we are trying really, really hard, but doors are closed, you know, right in front of our faces. And that's... It's, 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 it's tough. It's really difficult hearing things and 
The regular, regular, normal Irish people, working Irish class, would not even bat an eyelid when they walk past a homeless person. It's like, yeah, you know, you, you can do better than that. You can go find a job. Guess what? I have a job. But the thing is, rental is so high, I'm not able to sustain. And as a single mother, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And um, the repercussions of what is going on, if you're going to fast forward 15 years, you'll have a huge culture of... I, it's, it's, it's very difficult to put into words, but it, it is. Um, it's, it's, it, I think people need to be educated and really, really educate themselves about what homelessness is. Not everybody is a drug addict. Not everybody is a, 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 has issues. They are people who really fall into the cracks. You said there that you have a job. And I think what's really great about your story is that it's giving another face to homelessness and it's bringing an awareness to, you know, changing the conversation that it isn't only people who have, you know, problems like addiction or alcohol problems. But at the same time, I would imagine that this situation that you're both in is incredibly stress-inducing. And I would imagine that it may have affected you then in terms of your mental health. I would imagine that the stress that's on you as a single mother is incredible. It is. Actually, for me, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not so much the stress upon myself, but my child has... Um, uh, uh, gone through so much there's so much pressure on her that um, she started self-harming some time ago we're still going through counselling with Peter House, Mm -hmm. we just came over from Peter House and these are the things which the regular society doesn't understand that um, um, children in homelessness it's a huge impact on them, their mental health is no, it's not right. It's really, really not right. Yeah? And she is one of the lucky few who have the right tools to overcome her, 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 mental, her mental health issues. What about people who, who, who won't or who, who can't avail help like that? What's going to happen to these this children? You know, it's, it's, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah? And it's, it's just not right. Your daughter has said that she'd love to to give her part to the story and I'm going to come to you now in a moment. But before I say goodbye to you, Magnus, and I hope I'm saying your name right, um, how do you think that, I know that things are starting to fall fall into place for you, which is, which is great, but I know it's been a long road and, and I know that you've gone to court and things, so it's been a struggle for you. So where would you see yourself in the next few years and what do you hope for the future? Um, for me personally, I think... Uh, once things are settled, um, I would definitely start advocating for homelessness. It's 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 an epidemic, yeah, and it's it's getting worse. It's it's really getting worse. We we we, we see children um, as young as just born two days ago into families of homeless homeless parents, and uh, something needs to be done, and something needs to be done quickly. Yeah, and uh, my hopes for the future is to 
for the government to really look into this crisis and work, come up with a better solution than just building. Not not. I mean, um, there's really there's really loads of houses right now boarded up. They should do something about it. Give people who are really in need a roof over their heads. While I was speaking to Magnus, her daughter Alex slipped me a note saying she wanted to share her story. I mean, for me, I have a really high ego and a really high pride. So for me, it was just kind of a thing where I was just like, screw this, we're going to get through this. But halfway through, I realized it wasn't that easy. And like, all of the things started happening. And the first part wasn't that bad because I barely had time to think. But when we started just continuously staying in that hotel, I started realizing, oh, this isn't going to be so easy. And I kind of just always had a little trigger for depression anyway. So the thing that happened was one night we were out in the garden station and drug addicts, alcoholics, they all came up. There was one guy who threatened to kill me and my mom just because we were Asian and we were there. And after that, we still saw him around the town a few times and things like that happened. And then I started self-harming because I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to deal with it. I was basically locked up in the room all the time. The whole summer was just me in the room. And I had friends. I wasn't completely alone, but it was still quite a hard fact to deal with. And, like, you continuous... At that point, it just bad news over bad news and bad news and more bad news... There was hardly any good news at all, and it really just kind of struck everyone, I guess, when I started self-harming because I was always so determined to just get through it and get it done. So I've been told by people that you're highly intelligent and that you're doing really, really well at school, and you mentioned your, your friends there and getting bad news after bad news, and your mom mentioned about stumbling blocks and doors closing. Do you talk to your friends about it? No, actually, I never actually told anyone because, as I already said, I had a really high ego and really high pride, so I never actually said anything about it. All my friends think I'm that person who just puts a middle finger up to the world and just walk through it. But the thing is, that's just not how it works, I guess. And there's just a lot of things in my life right now. Depression, mental illnesses, being a part of the LBGTQ plus community, being homeless, all of them just kind of added up, I guess. I'd like to really know where, if you're sitting in, you know, your bed at night, where it is that you see yourself in a few years. Well, for me, because I guess that just everyone told me I was highly intelligent and everyone just kind of just expects something good from me and I feel like I will be able to achieve it. And I feel like hopefully one day I'll be able to afford everything that I ever wanted, everything that I'm denied right now. Hopefully I'll be able to get them back and actually be open about everything I'm going through and not trying to hide all the, all of everything, I guess. Being in the hotel I am in right now, there's a lot of kids there, and none of them actually told any of their friends that what situation they were in. And it's just really hard to tell someone. You feel like everyone's going to judge you after that, and you can't really show who you are because of the label that you already have. The stigma of yeah. being called a homeless, I believe. People tend, people tend to label, oh, you're, you're from, you, if you're homeless, you come from a broken family. That's the first thing which pops into people's mind. So for, for a child, a teenager, 
um, to actually come out and say, oh, I'm homeless. It's like telling you. It's, it's, it's basically putting a target for future bullying for kids like this. And they have, I, I, I believe her self-mechanism to protect herself would be just to ignore it, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I mean, like, being a teenager is so hard, especially being a teenage girl. I mean, aside from anything, the hormones that are going through your body at that time, like I remember being all over the place, up, down, everywhere, not knowing what I was doing. I couldn't imagine throwing in the amount of pressures that, that you know, you guys are facing at the moment. It's a, it's a really tough situation to be in. Um, but let me talk about something a bit happier. <laughs> Alex, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pythologist. Wow. Um, a pythologist is someone who goes to a crime scene and looks at the body and tries to figure out who murdered this person or what happened to this person. And I feel like I want to do that because I feel like a lot of times when something bad happens, everyone is just like, oh, just go to the police or something. And no one really cares what happens. They just want an explanation. But hardly any explanation is given so, like, the families, they're just like, oh, it's dead, that's it. Yeah. I don't think that's right, because they need to know what happened to their family. They're not just going to get over it. They're not just going to snap out of it. You just need to tell them what actually happened, and they have to cope with it. It's just life, I guess. As I mentioned earlier on, my mother, Catherine Marr, is the Director of Services with Focus Ireland. She relayed some of the terrifying stats to me in terms of the current housing crisis in Ireland. Okay, so at the moment we have about 8,300 people who are homeless. That's increased significantly. Where we have a huge increase in family homelessness, we have 1,400 families homeless at the moment. To give you a piece to compare with, in 2014 we had 340 families. 2017 we have 1,400 families. That seems crazy. I mean, I suppose the easiest question to ask is, why is that happening? I was at a a press conference there with the Minister for Housing, and he was talking about how important preventative measures are. But clearly, something is happening over the last few years. And can it just be blamed on rent increases and the housing crisis? Or is there something else at play? Um, It's rent increases. It is the housing problem. The main problem is that we stopped building houses in this country about 10 years ago. And the number of houses that haven't been built is where our problem is. So we have to get back building houses and we have got to get people into those houses. So what we have is lots of people looking to rent properties. And there aren't any renting properties there. You know how difficult it is to find somewhere to rent. And then we have all of these families over the last number of years have become homeless because they can't afford rents, because they are then losing jobs and um, and there's no more properties for them to go into. I was thinking of this the other day. You were telling me that you were looking to rent a property and there was 230 people applied for that property. Yeah. And then you had an interview and there was 12 people were interviewed for that job. Now, can you imagine someone competent and confident like you are compared to somebody who's living in a hotel for X number of years at this point? Some of them are there nearly two years. 
and how they have to get their heads around getting ready for an interview and trying to present themselves confidently and ready to get an apartment. And that's the challenge for people trying to rent properties. And we know the shortages there. So the biggest problem is no housing and people not able to afford the rents. This year, um, people have died on the streets and that's always the first story on in, on the news when somebody dies on our streets and it's shocking and it's so sad. But do you think that we gloss over some of the other elements of homelessness until a time like Christmas comes around? And I mean, I suppose that's kind of ironic because I'm doing this episode on homelessness, but it is so important to highlight it. But what about all the stories that don't make the news? Do you think that there's enough focus on it? Because from the stats that you're telling me, it is a frightening subject that probably should be on the top of the hour of every news bulletin across the country. Yeah, I mean, obviously at Christmas time, it's it's much more uh, heart rendering for people to think that somebody doesn't have a room that they can put a Christmas tree up and how does Santa come down a chimney when there isn't a chimney and how does people uh, have their family over and catch up with family when they've one room in a hotel so I mean it really is it, it, it hits hard at this time of the year so obviously it is on the agenda and yeah you're right there's lots of things happening all year round constantly around homelessness that people don't hear about and it gets taken off the agenda because it's not the most important news item. And um, and and that's why myself and the people I work with in Focus Ireland are on the, de- on the job day in, day out doing it. I mean, I'm going to tell you just two stories which kind of gives you the idea of just the ongoing stuff. Like... There's a young person that I was um, talking to one of my staff members about recently. And this is a young person who is 18 years of age and they're doing their leaving cert. And they're living in a hostel. Now, it's a hostel that's for young people, 18 to 26 year olds. Right. So it's not these mainstream hostels where there's large numbers of like 100 people. It's a hostel with only about uh, 10 people. But this is an 18 year old living in there. Every morning she gets up and puts on a school uniform and goes to school. And she tries to be normal in school with all her friends and tries not to let people know what her circumstances is. And she has had family breakdown, um, sort of no addiction issues. She's going to school every day and she's hoping to get her leave insert next year. And she's living in a hostel and she's getting the support she needs from us. And I just think that's awful. And she comes home from school, takes out her school uniform and then manages through the day as best she can. The hostel she's in, she's not allowed to access it during the daytime because that's just the circumstances that it is. So she'd find somewhere to sit and do her homework. Like, that's a story I think most most touch people. And that's going to continue for that young person until she gets her leaving. So that's a really sad thing, you know. On Tuesday night of this week, at 10 to 12, I got a phone call. There was a young woman who was 20 years of age and she had a three-month-old baby and she had nowhere to go. Now, by two o'clock in the morning, we had sorted it out and she'd found somewhere to stay. And in fairness, the conversations that was happening was phone calls between me and the local authority 
and the local authority were the people who came up and found the accommodation. But that sort of thing is happening all the time. Yeah. Calls at night time, in situations like that for that young person, day in, day out, trying to live a normal life while actually experiencing homelessness, which is really scary. And there's lots of stories like that. What would you say needs to... Now, I know you said the housing thing, but in 2018, what do you think will bring the figures down immediately? And also, do you have a message of hope for people? I want to be hopeful as well and try and think that perhaps... I just want to let these people know that maybe there is some hope for them in order to get out of homelessness. We said housing was the was the solution and we need that and that's that's a given and it has to happen and we have to put pressure on local authorities we have to put pressure on government to make sure that happens um, what I would say could be also done that would help is trying to prevent people from becoming homeless so if there was a scheme whereby if somebody is in a, in a situation where they're going to lose their housing that they can be given a caseworker or somebody that works with them that stops them from losing their homes not waiting until somebody has a notice to quit because when somebody's a notice to quit it's probably valid for some reason or other but to say to people contact us if you think you're going to lose your home or you're coming up to the end of your lease let's find you another place before it gets too late before you so preventing people from becoming homeless and there's a couple of models out there around the around Europe Denmark have a good model in relation to preventing homelessness for families and we could look at some of those models and try and bring them on board to prevent people from becoming homeless because we have a big problem to solve, so let's not make that problem any bigger. I mean, people really do care. Um, you might have noticed when you were coming into my office the amount of donations that are down at the bottom of the stairs. Food packs are coming in. People are very generous. Um, our fundraising team would say that uh, the last couple of years our has we've had an increase in fundraising for people donating because of the because they do care. I'm sure when you're on the street and you see people walking past you and people walk past people who are sleep on the streets and try and ignore them because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Not just because they don't like the person, it's because they're uncomfortable and they they know it's not right and they yeah. don't know how to deal with it. So when you're sitting on the street and somebody's, everybody's passing you, you naturally feel like nobody cares. But, but people do. I genuinely think people do care. So while conducting these interviews, I wanted to go out onto the streets and speak to people who may not be linked in with the services. I met Deirdre, who was sleeping rough with her partner beside the four courts in Dublin. Are you just packing up, are you? Moving on? I'll be coming back here every night. Yeah. Is this where you stay every night? Yeah. Is it kind of safer here than other places? Yeah. yeah. To, I mean, we don't have much to take, but when you yeah, stay hurts. over there, like, your phone gets robbed and that your house gets robbed. Oh, really? Even your runners. Jesus. You said that your name was Deirdre, so yeah. thank you so much for talking to us. How did you become homeless? I fell out with my family. My mum and dad got divorced, so it was picky. Which side and I picked my ma and then my ma picked a fella and then kicked me out after a few cans then she scrammed onto our sixth can then she fucked you out. And how long ago was that? How long have you been on the streets? Uh, about three years on and off. Can I ask, are you involved in any services at the moment? 
yeah, no. Like, when you want them, they're closed. Like, when you need them, they're closed, especially on the weekends. There's nowhere to go. Brother Luke's shit, but... There's too many people. Like, there's nearly, what, 80 people in one room having dinner, like, and people sneezing and coughing and getting sick over you and all, so... Do you feel more comfortable being out on the streets than you would being in emergency accommodation? Yeah, no. You're warm or indoors, you know what I mean? But, like, when you... You won't put the two of us together. Like, he get a bed and I won't, or I'll get a bed and he won't. And why is that? Is that just to do with space, or is it...? You haven't got enough couples beds. There's only two buildings for couples. And that's only, like, what... Three, three couples beds and two hostels. That's only six couples beds, so that's not enough. I know that you're about to move on from here now. So, what do you do during the day? Do you kind of just hang around town? You have to survive. What does that mean? Begging. Like we we ask for spare change, like to help to get by, to buy food and to buy toiletries or clothes or like if we have enough money we get a B&B and go in like you know what I mean to go in and have a shower or a bath and watch a bit of telly and have a soft bed <laughs> What do you think your future looks like? Where where do you see yourself in a few years? Do you want to get off the streets? I'd be dead I'm not well, I have ammonia You think you're going to be dead in a few years? Not a few years, I say, I give myself after Christmas. Can I ask what this time of year is like for somebody living on the streets? Is it hard or do you miss your family? Yeah, I know. Try not to think about them. Is it harder at this time of year to see people doing their Christmas shopping and stuff like that? Yeah. But you have a partner, so you're with somebody and does that make you feel safer when you're out here? Yeah safer out there than being on your own. It's an awful lot of people that, you know, that are homeless as well, that bully shit. Like, they come and bully you and take your money off you, especially blokes, you know, like, like, set of people towards travellers, you know what I mean? Like, the traveller blokes will come over and bully you and take your money. What do you think about Irish people? Do you think that we're sympathetic towards people like you or do you feel sometimes like you're forgotten? No. Irish people don't give a fuck about Irish because they think, like, we can get ourselves out of this situation. Can't. You need help. It's, it's easy to look down. It's better to help. Florence has been in Ireland since 2011 and her three-year-old daughter was playing nearby when we were chatting at the coffee shop that Focus Ireland run. This is her story. I became homeless uh, because uh, the house that I was living before, I was living in Portlaoise before, so the house that I was living, it had no electricity and no any heating system and uh, financially I was... uh, squeezed like to pay my rent so that's that's how I became homeless anyways and where are you from originally do you mind me asking yes I'm from Zambia when did you become homeless then I became homeless it was uh, 2015 
Yeah, 2015. So I've been homeless like for two years now. Yeah. So how was that for you when you initially became homeless? Um, that was very hard. <laughs> it was very hard because I've never, never in my life been homeless. And uh, being in a foreign country, it's so, so hard. Like, uh, And... Uh, I was going through a lot that time because that was when my daughter was only, um, let's say, a year old. So it was very hard for me to see my daughter, like, homeless and, uh, you know, that kind of thing that I don't have anywhere, like, I can go. I don't have any family. I don't have anyone, like, to rely on. So that was very hard, I might say. It was very hard. And so since you've become homeless then, have you integrated into the services that are available? And can I ask about how you found them in terms of making those steps that you need to make to get back into accommodation? Oh, yeah. Um, I found uh, Focus Island when I was homeless. Like When I became homeless, there were some social workers for my daughter. And then they came to me, and then they introduced me to Focus Island. And since that time, um, I've been very, very good. With, they've been very, very good to me like because they've been communicating with DCC and giving me a press every day of which I didn't expect and I didn't know, like, of what to do, but I might say they are very, very good in focus silent. Yeah. And in terms of getting yourself back into housing and getting back into accommodation, whether that be rental um, or emergency accommodation, how has that process been for you? What are the difficulties that you're facing? The difficulties that I'm facing right now, it's uh, because I don't have, uh, like, the document that can support me to get housing so fast. Uh, since that, it's very, very hard, like, for me, like, to communicate with the DCC and uh, for them, like, to give me a permanent uh, housing because of some other documents that they're asking me for. Yeah, so I'm really getting difficult on that, but I'm still working on them. Yeah. In the future, where do you hope to see yourself in the, in the next few years? Obviously, everybody who's experienced and is experiencing homelessness hopes to get out of that situation. So how do you see your life moving forward for yourself and for your daughter? Actually, I see it very nice. I see it very perfect because uh, I still have hopes that one day I'll get my own stable place. Like for my daughter as well, I see a very perfect future because... Um, being homeless, it's not the end of all, you know. So it's, um, it's a thing that I'm hoping for, good things to still happen in my life in future. The reason for this episode is to highlight the struggles of people who have a pretty scary Christmas ahead of them. Homelessness does not happen to one type of person. It isn't always the person that we imagine. Dave ended up sleeping rough because his relationship broke down. Deirdre had a fight with her mother. It could happen to anyone. So please think of the people behind the headlines this Christmas and donate. Here's how. If people would like to donate to Focus Ireland, they can do that by um, contacting 1850 204 205 um, and especially around this time of the year where we all know what it's like to have a warm Christmas and a happy time and to help us provide some of that for people who are homeless we welcome 
any type of donation. I want to thank all the families and people who shared their stories and thank you to Focus Ireland for all of their efforts. Thanks for listening.